Chicago, Illinois, Startup Hype Man presents the Goat to Market Show. What's up, everyone? I am your host, Raj Nation, the founder and chief pitch artist of Startup Hype Man. This podcast is where we bring you founders, company leaders, and creatives who are building it, who are doing it, who have been there and done that. And they pull back the curtain on their go-to-market strategies so that you can build a venture that you love and become the GOAT of your industry. Want first listen on episodes before anyone else? Subscribe to our newsletter at StartupHypeMan.com. You will get alerts every Sunday morning when we release new episodes. All right, let's hear how today's guest is becoming the GOAT. Ladies and gentlemen, making her way to the microphone from New York, New York, and currently residing in San Diego, California. She is the Chief Creative Officer of ClickUp. Please welcome Melissa Rosenthal. Thanks for having me. What an intro. I think the first well, time I, now you got something to play you into every stage and every meeting you go into. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Great to be here. Like I mentioned, C is Melissa Rosenthal, Chief Creative Officer at ClickUp. You've probably heard of ClickUp by now if you are at all involved or tangentially involved in the tech world. They have blown up over the last, I'd say, four, five, six years. To this point, most recently raising a $400 million Series C round at a $4 billion valuation. They have hundreds of thousands of customers. Perhaps at this point, you've even seen their billboards. They have popularized the phrase, one app to replace them all. And this journey of growth, of massive growth and scale, has largely been attributed to the fact, well, of course, the product is good. But on top of that, they have been able to drive 100x revenue growth by focusing on brand differentiation. So our conversation today with Melissa is going to be focused on brand development and differentiation. So Melissa, right off the bat, real quick, why is this on your mind and why is this important to you? Yeah, I mean, so I've been a brand builder from early in my career and I've always known that, you know, there's a lot that can drive growth. There's product that can drive growth. There's uh, shift in technology, shift in market appetite, but at the root of everything, you have to really have a strong brand to be able to grow and differentiate yourself, especially if you're looking to build that legendary five, 10 year brand. Um, you can't do that with just product alone. We're going to dive a whole lot more into this. Before we do, I want to learn more about you, the person. So Melissa, I'm curious, do you have any siblings or are you an only child? And if the answer is siblings, where do you fit and how do you feel that has shaped your view of relationships? That's a great question. Um, I'm an only child. So I think that has also shaped a lot of my way um, of operating and uh, my style of leadership and management and um, kind of everything I do, I think has been really shaped by the fact that I had to make my own way constantly and teach myself things. And I never had anyone to really like look up to, to see, oh, what are, you know, that's how I should do X. So I had to kind of figure everything out myself. Haven your own path since day one. Well, um, you've, you've, You've done a lot with music in your career, and and you've actually brought music into ClickUp's brand in several different capacities. What is your favorite genre of music and favorite artist? Oh, good question. Um, I love indie rock, indie 
the whole genre. I would say two favorite artists would be uh, Death Cab for Cutie and then uh, Phoebe Bridgers. All right. Death Cab for Cutie. I mean, I, I they're not groups that I listen to. Uh, but I had a lot of friends growing up who were fans of Death Cab for Cutie, and I always just thought it was a fun name to say as a band. <laughs> yeah, I would say Phoebe is definitely uh, top top now, top right now. She's right amazing. On. Right on. So let's kind of talk through like your career journey then. Like, you know, I mentioned the music thing, but like media has really been like where you got your foothold in. And then, you know, you helped grow BuzzFeed from, you know, a, a uh, almost like a niche website that that certain parts of the internet knew about to a massive mainstream brand. You know, unfortunately, recently they had to shut down their news division. But but that time when you were there, 2010 to 2013, that was when like BuzzFeed like was on the rise, on the come up. You were running the global creative and strategy there. Like what did what was the vision that your team had at BuzzFeed, and and how did it how did you bring that to life? I know that's a that's a loaded question, but but like when you take it, it's like, hey, there's so many news outlets that are out there that are already way more popular. We're going to come out. We're going to hit the scene and we're going to bring people to our, our media platform instead. What was the vision? Yeah, I mean, so when, when I started there, there were about 10 of us in a room and it was a, like a really small office in downtown Manhattan. And no one knew exactly what the company would become. You know, Jonah had the CEO had a vision to make it the, you know, the one-stop shop where you could go where anything that was viral, anything that was relevant would be happening. Um, and the idea behind virality and figuring out that there is actually like a real methodical way to create things that go viral based on, you know, different um different kind of frameworks was the idea. Now that was like the hypothesis uh, that you could repeatedly make things go viral and understand why people share with each other. But that wasn't something that was proven. So, you know, it was a ton of experimentation, like every single day, so many things didn't work. And, you know, it was really that, like, how do we become your internet best friend where like, that is the place, you know, you almost see Buzzfeed as that best friend within media that you're going to go and get all of the most relevant content, things to share with your friends, stuff about celebrities, the kind of that all in one, like one stop shop. And that didn't exist before, you know, there, there, everything was kind of bifurcated. You had like gossip sites, which really didn't like speak to the reader, but Buzzfeed spoke to you like a friend. Um, so I think that differentiation in the personality of like a website for the first time ever and media for the first time ever was something that really differentiated us. And yeah, over time, you know, that kind of caught on and we were able to really reach people in interesting ways. You know, it, it felt like an overnight success at times for other people. And they're like, wow, BuzzFeed's everywhere. It's like the most popular thing in the world. And for us, it was like, you know, years of, of experimenting to get to that point. And then finally seeing ourselves reflected in mainstream media or being mocked. And it was kind of, it was kind of such a surreal moment. Um, but a lot of that was just the work of like that differentiation in our tone, our personality, our voice, our content, and then true experimentation across multiple platforms over many years. One example of that, I'm actually, I'm curious if you would have been part of this team at the time. I think it would have been like, 2012. I don't know how big the company was at that point, if you would have directly been involved, but I think it was 2012. A friend of mine did the first ever BuzzFeed homepage takeover and proposed to his wife. Uh, with It was the uh, Say Yes Katie campaign uh, where he was able to essentially do that. He, he took over the BuzzFeed homepage and coordinated with the team there and proposed to his yeah. wife through that. 
That sounds very familiar. I wasn't directly <laughs> involved in that, but that that sounds like something we would have done back then. <laughs> it was a cool. It was a cool campaign yeah. where like everyone started making memes about it, and the whole point was to get her to find her way to BuzzFeed.com that day to see yeah. what the proposal yeah. was sitting there. Yes, yes. Wow, that's a blast from the past. Well, and it's and I think though that speaks to like the human aspect, right? Like I don't think any website to that point was allowing the reader to get directly involved with the asset like that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and we like to start, we had a really strong and how I got even involved in it was that we had a really strong community and the community added so much to the site, so much personality, and they were constantly trying to outdo the editors. And that was this really fun gamified way of getting people involved. Mm. So you know, there was constantly this leaderboard in which you could see how well your posts were trending versus the actual people that work there, which I thought was really special and super unique. And also, um, you know, incentivize people to create better content to beat out the people that actually work there, which was really cool. From BuzzFeed, you move into Cheddar, which has been often called like CNBC for millennials. Um, and you join the company's doing six figures of revenue annually. And then you leave less than four years later and they're doing $50 million in annual revenue and then very shortly uh, getting acquired um, and then going public. Um, this is you know, another media outlet, television though, media, and I'd say more video-based media with some online um, assets as well. But did you basically go to Cheddar and be like, we're just going to run the BuzzFeed playbook at Cheddar? Or was there a different type of challenge given that this is a television network, I would say yeah. first and foremost? So uh, I actually left BuzzFeed to go help start Cheddar. So Cheddar didn't really exist before I came there. So it was an idea that our um, that the old president had uh, to create this media network that would be a live streaming network for young people uh, who were interested in tech, and it would compete directly with CNBC and Fox Business. And I love the idea, and I said, yeah, absolutely. Um, and you know the. The idea was kind of this culmination of two things that were happening in the industry that were really interesting. One was that um, the the word cord cutting, which now is just you know ubiquitous across everyone. No, I don't really know people with cable subscriptions. That was not a thing. So we were starting to see this change in consumption, and we we were starting to see that young people wanted to have choice in what they watched and not kind of directed by a cable bundle that was costing them way too much money. So obviously, you know, now the things are, you know, Netflix was already in existence, but we started to see the rise of competitive live streaming um, apps like YouTube TV and, and Pluto and Fubo and Philo and, you know, mm -hmm. everything that you know today uh, didn't exist when we started Cheddar. We were starting to see it. So that was really exciting. It was like this major shift in streaming that we could become a part of. Um, so for the first time ever, it was possible to get distribution on streaming streaming services that had an actually a young audience that would place you in the right places. So that was extremely exciting for us. So that shift in consumption behavior and also new um, new channels was the one thing that we were like, well, we can win there. And then the second piece was that differentiation part, which was, hey, like everything on TV right now just speaks to this much older audience. Uh, the anchors aren't diverse. They're, you know, it, it's extremely polarizing. There's nothing talking about like all these amazing things that are happening in the startup world and fundraising. Mm -hmm. 
and the stories of these young CEOs who are doing all these really great things and fine and actually speaking to you know about finance to a young audience. So we were like we could differentiate that way as well through the content, through the anchors, through I mean our branding was like a very bright pink and yellow mm-hmm. you know brand logo with a piece of cheese. I mean like you know we we look different. We didn't feel masculine. Um, so we were differentiated and, and brand through that way as well and also through our advertising um, opportunities. So there were just a lot of different ways that we decided to differentiate ourselves and through the you know the the shift in tech and the shift in consumption that really carried us alongside with the brand. I mean, I think even the name alone, right? Shatter, that's yeah, like a Shatter. Cool exactly. name to speak about cash. So yep. I think on name alone, it starts to speak to a more youthful audience. Now you go BuzzFeed, you help start Shatter, and then like B2B SaaS, right? <laughs> that ClickUp comes into the picture. Yeah. What yeah. made you make that jump to say, I'm going to, I'm going to do this kind of like left turn and go into you know a new category, a new arena. Totally. So we sold Cheddar and I decided that my future was probably not at a 15,000 person cable company. So, <laughs> so I took a step back and, um, you know, I wanted to, I was wanted to think about what the next phase of my career was. And I'm a brand builder and I love being creative. And I felt like I had always wanted to go into tech um, and the opportunity within B2B SaaS specifically felt like the sky was really, really blue. And, you know, I, I think there's a lot that kind of comes together to be able to do what you dream of doing, but the sky was really blue in the opportunity to actually differentiate a SaaS company in a creative, funny, humorous way that others weren't doing. And I love that. And I thought if, you know, I, I could find the right company, which, uh, you know, that kind of fell out of the sky, but if I could find the right company that would be able to allow me to do that, not just say it, um, I would be really happy in the next phase of my career. And I could hopefully change the, you know, the idea that you can still have a wonderful product and great product marketing, but still be able to sell through humor and through emotion. So um, yeah, I mean, that's what drew me to the idea of it. I felt like every other time that I had done something in my career that I was successful at, it was because it was the idea of it being completely disruptive across an industry or across a period of time in which something hadn't been done. Um, And I kind of go into it guns blazing where I'm just like, I have to be fearless because, you know, there's so much that like other people are dealing with that hold them back and the ability to do that thing that if you think too hard about that, it will dissuade you from doing it at all. But I think for me, it was like, I'm going to find that early stage company. I can do the startup thing maybe one or two more times and I'll find that company and I'll help them build an amazing differentiated brand and through everything that I've learned in, in you know my prior posts. So let's dig further into now, which is the main topic, which is how you've been able to drive such massive revenue growth by leveraging brand and brand differentiation. When you joined ClickUp, what was like this, like how many employees were they at? And what would you, how would you characterize the state of the company at that point? And what did they, what did they, what did you come in and say, here's what I want to do? Or what did they say? Here's what you're tasked with. Yeah, I would say maturation of the product was happening like it was the product was growing um or like without any sort of paid they didn't even really have a marketing strategy so it was pretty exciting to see a product that was just growing by plg only um but when i came in it was a i mean it was very early stage startup it was series a um it was about 60 people and you know they're 
was this kind of aura of community around it. People loved the product. They loved it already. So kind of going into that, productivity is a really fun area. And then Zeb, who is the CEO, like his whole personality is so bright and so bold. And, you know, the colors and everything that he was using on the website really also attracted me to the idea that I could come in and be able to do this here. So, you know, it was very early stages. Nothing had been established. It was like, let's experiment with like who we are, our brand personality, our tone, like how we come off and market. And let's infuse that into every single thing that we do across social, across our performance advertising. And as we scale that up, let's, you know, let's really build that out. Um, And so, you know, day one, we didn't have a huge marketing budget, but we were starting to run performance ads. So infusing that creativity into the performance ads that we were running and starting to get that feedback and people starting to notice, oh, you know, ClickUp's doing things differently. Oh, I actually like, I wanted to watch that ad. Like that was something that I think in B2B really hadn't happened. I, or I hadn't seen it ever. So getting that anecdotal feedback and starting to build upon that and upon our humor and how we how we approach things. Um, and then also throughout the product, you know, incorporating these like kind of fun elements of when you click a task, what happens or an email that you get when you import everything over from a competitive product. There was that personality that was infused throughout that. And then obviously with marketing budget, you're able to do a little bit more and scale and create these amazing experiences and, and brand opportunities like running a Super Bowl ad. But, you know, from day one, it was like, everything we do should be a little bit different. Like our, like, you know, our weekly feature releases should have a song associated with them. Like, how do we just infuse that into every little aspect of the company? Well, I think that's where such a strong, like media background comes in as you look at, you know, how do you, how do you make a show out of pretty much everything that you're, you know, a show in in air quotes here, right? But how do you make a show or showcase everything that you're doing? So it's not just because I feel like, you know, the standard path is we're going to send an email to our database that says, check out this new feature release. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and like, it's tried and true. And, and if you've done it for 10 years, like that's what you know, right? So I was taking a lot of what, you know, I knew that others didn't and trying to infuse that into, into, into an industry that hadn't really ever had that sort of disruption. But the beauty of it is, you know, our, our founder does not have that typical SaaS path either. So his willingness to be bold and try new things and be loud and punch up at our competitors, like I'm very lucky. Like Mm -hmm. there are many other people that would not have allowed me to do that in the way that I did it um, with my team. So I, you know, I, I, it, it, it's all kind of the, the marriage of that. It's the willingness to, to take those big bets and those risks in which he was very on board with um, and, you know, was very supportive. So. so with this idea of like, hey, everything we do needs to be different, like yes. was your North Star just different or did you have actual like metrics or, or specific metric categories you were you were focused on within this? I mean, there's metrics and ROI across many different pieces of it, right? There's, you know, if we're going to do an out-of-home campaign, it's brand awareness in certain cities. If we're going to run specific ads, it's like anecdotally, are people signing up for ClickUp and saying, I saw this ad or I did X, Y, and Z. And then it's the compilation of all that data and aggregate to kind of tell that story. But it's many different metrics across many different channels, platforms, methods of marketing. Okay. So coming back to what you said before about like, Hey, like there's like the tried and true stuff, like, you know, send an email when a new product release comes out. I think on the note of the tried and true as particularly as it pertains to B2B SaaS, you know, the 
Most experts are going to say, invest in SEO, invest in your blog strategy, figure out your product integrations, things like that. That's what I think is like the, the standard mm-hmm. playbook. And you, I, I'm not saying you didn't do those things as well, but like when you were, you know, you're, you and your team are concepting out, like, how are we going to blow this out of the water? I got to imagine you weren't necessarily like building an internal pitch deck to the board being like, here's what our SEO, here's what words we're optimizing for on SEO, right? Or, or were you doing that? And then also being like, here's how we're going to make videos and this and this and this. Yeah. I mean, my focus was much more on, on brand building. We definitely had a team focused on SEO and all of the tried and true things to build an organic machine on that side as well. Like that's also important. And I'm not saying it isn't, I'm just saying there also needs to be that, like, what is the true differentiation? And now we're at a place, you know, how many years later, two two and a half years later, where I think SEO as an entire, you know, way of, of marketing is going to be completely appended by AI. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like, of course you do that, but brand human is like look at where we are now i think that we're at this kind of like really interesting point in time where that is going to be the only way you can really truly differentiate your content you know mm-hmm. like when 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 we have generative ai like how do you do that when you don't have a personality or a brand so i think it becomes more important now than ever not to say that those things aren't important those things will you know seo and ever it will change um but I do think that, you know, that that kind of building the brand from day one is something that, you know, becomes invaluable when in a time of of technology disruption. So if you're speaking directly to, I mean, you really are with the, with the audience of the show, but if you're speaking directly to, let's say, an early stage founder, somewhere seed series A level, and they're hearing some of this stuff and they're like, that sounds risky. Yeah. What, like what's, what's your reaction or response to that? I think it's not risky. I mean, I think it's risky not to do it. <laughs> like you're what like what what are you building on in terms of a differentiated brand when t- technology has been democratized to the fact that someone can build the same product that you're building in 2 months and your SEO strategy is now being written by, you know, uh, an AI bot that can that can auto-generate itself and create its own prompts and respond to those prompts. So what what you know, what war are you waging? by by not doing this. And it's really that you're not going to be able to differentiate yourself from anyone at certain points. Like even the best companies in the world with the most funding, you know, look, look at Google, like you don't, you can't leapfrog with product anymore. It's just like an arms race. So mm-hmm. where can you also like build that muscle to be able to have the fuel to the fire when you're able to differentiate? And I think product and brand go hand in hand. Of course, you have to build the best product and leapfrog others in competition and keep building and keep iterating and evolving, but you have to build brand as well. I want to dive into the voice aspect of this, but before we get there, I just want to pause for a second and talk to our listeners. You know, earlier on, one of the things that Melissa mentioned was that like when she joined ClickUp, like the product was strong and the product was growing. So listeners, I'm curious, like how are you making sure that your product is strong? What foundation is it built on? Are you developing a SaaS? Are you developing an app that can actually like handle scale. And are you building it right from day one? Well, if you need assurance in that, Akeva is the software development partner that's going to help you go from zero to one. So whether that's blockchain or no chain, Web3 or Web2, mobile app or something B2B SaaS like ClickUp, Akeva is here to build it at startup speed 
and enterprise level refinement. That's why startups like Stride Health, Haveno, Olive, Inside, and many, many more trust Akeva from their first dollar all the way to their billion dollar valuation. And they are ready to help you become the GOAT to market. Just in the last two, three weeks, I believe, uh, I've referred two different founders to Akeva because they said, hey, we're about to bring on this big enterprise client. We got to make sure our tech doesn't break. That was a perfect use case for Akeva. Another one was we are getting this thing off the ground. We need to figure, we need to make sure the software, we actually have software, right? Another great use case for Akeva. So wherever you are on your software journey, Akeva has the team and their co-founder, uh, Brandon is also separately a tech startup founder himself. So he totally gets, and their entire team, it's infused into their philosophy. They totally get what it's like to build and grow a company, and they know exactly what the right moves are at the right time. So if you want to learn more, head to akava.io. That's A-K-A-V-A.io, akava.io. Today on the Goat to Market show, we've got Melissa Rosenthal, the Chief Creative Officer of ClickUp, joining us. And we're talking about how they've driven 100x revenue growth through their brand differentiation. Now, before the break, I alluded to this. So, Melissa, um, as you build a brand, you've, you've figured out a way to like hone in the voice of ClickUp. This is a two-parter. First part is how important is voice in building a brand? And then part two of that is how do you figure out what your voice is supposed to be? Yeah. I mean, I think voice is really important. Like how do you, how do you speak to your customers? How do you, you know, how do you communicate through your product? How do you communicate in market, in marketing? Like establishing that and and what that means is really important. Now, I think like kind of experimenting it with it and then establishing where you want it to be. I, I would consider us like a, what we call like the heroic jester. Like mm-hmm. we want to save you time. We want to make you more productive, but we can do it in a self-aware way where we can bring you in and have a humorous approach towards it. So that's sort of where I would say we are now. And and getting there was just through a lot of trial and error. You know, not everyone, the beauty of kind of how fast you move as a company like this is you're constantly creating content. You're constantly seeing what resonates. You're constantly seeing what works on performance. So understanding that over time and then defining it is sort of where you you know where it really actually happens. Now you can say my north star is for us to be this, but once you are actually doing it, you know, that's really where you learn. And I mean, for those who aren't familiar, like you got to look up ClickUp stuff. They've released hip hop music videos, which of course, you know, I you know, I would be a big fan of those things. Um they have put out like fake or parody, like movie and TV trailers, like, you know, like like they've done like a parody sitcom introduction to just talk about like the life of like talk of going through the different departments, you know, like accounting and finance and and marketing and all that stuff. Right. Uh, It's almost like the too many cooks thing that Adult Swim did a few years back. Like these are really creative ventures that they are building within the brand itself because they made that choice, as you said, Melissa, to be the the heroic gesture, like have fun with this. So, um, and, and I think if you look back at like what you did at Cheddar and at BuzzFeed, there was also this idea of like, we're going to have fun with this. Do you think like it can be as successful if someone were to take the more like, let's say like serious or like stern sort of like brand voice? Yeah. I mean, I guess it's successful in, in kind of what way, like there's, there's, 
I think still like Salesforce and the way they speak to their customers and the way that they have built their character arc and like their story and their narrative, like they're an enterprise company that still to me has personality. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think like that's a cool and really great approach and a great reference point. I always reference Salesforce when people are like, <clears throat> are you going up market? Are you able to still have this humorous tone? And I think the answer is yes. If the product is strong enough and the differentiation is strong enough, I, I think that like you're able to have fun with marketing. And you see it more and more now. Like I, mm-hmm. I see this across the board, like, you know, more companies are coming out with like a little bit more personality in their ads and they're not all terrible anymore. And <laughs> I've just started to see that over the past probably like two years. Um, and th- so I, I think I think there's kind of this acknowledgement that like your end buyer can laugh and also still want to buy your product. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, if your end buyer wants to share an ad with his boss that he saw that he thought was funny, like I, I think that's not going to take away from the fact that the product is very solid. So, you know, I think there's a line of what your humor can be, but you can also have a lot of fun with it. Um, and yeah, I mean, we've, you know, we've infused that from day one, our, our strategy now is like, you know, digital billboard strategy, which is like, let's just create con- great content. That's also ads that people feel like is just enjoyable to watch, but it's also an ad. Um, and also, you know, why why can't we uh, you know create the commentary on modern work and all the things that we all resonate with and and can have you know emotions towards um as well as just commentary on tech in general and what's happening um so that's the approach that we've taken it's a bit of like newsjacking it's a bit of infusing our take and our thought leadership in funny ways that tie back to our product I mean, that's probably been my favorite advancement of B2B over the past decade is the humanization of it. Because I was, I mean, like years ago, and I, I was just starting my career, like I was figuring out any way I could as a low totem pole, low on the pole in the company, being like, how like how can I make this more fun for my coworkers, for my customers, yeah. et cetera? And I remember even then, like, you know, this is a decade or 11 years ago, like, uh, no, 12 years ago now, like, the big thing was like our CEO was like going to post a selfie for the first time. And that was like edgy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and now, now it's, now it's like, you know, I, and I think to your point on the commentary, like what I really appreciate and what I think a lot of brands are starting to learn, but most still don't get is you don't always need to be talking about your product And in fact, you shouldn't always be talking about your product. And if you don't talk about your product all the time, people will start talking about your product in a good way. Like the commentary on the industry, right? Like having a point of view on what's happening relative to a certain event or topic, right? These things where you just don't like, like the brand is there, but you're not like shoving product down people's throats at every single touch point. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's enough marketing, like, and enough facets of marketing, you know, go to and go to market strategies where you are that within your brand and within your some of your content, you don't need to do that all the time. So I, I yeah, I completely agree with that. And as a byproduct of us talking about, you know, making commentary on AI, we're also in, integrating it into our product as well. So let's create fun commentary on the fact that like, it's not going to take over, it's better if you work with it and, you know, plug ourselves at the end. So there's just a, so many ways that you can like speak to, you know, what what's happening within within mainstream culture in a way that relates back to your product and your brand in a much more in a much smarter way than just saying feature 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 all the time on that note have you found over the past few years like i feel like historically product development is what's going to drive 
what the marketing and what the branding is. Have you found that through any of these branding and marketing efforts, has that influenced at all like decisions made in product development, like insights you've learned from the market through the top funnel stuff? Mm, not so much top funnel. I would say, you know, it's more community boards. It's understanding the, you know, the actual industry as a whole and where it's shifting, where remote work is shifting, what the needs are for visibility and collaboration. I'd say that that definitely drives product more than more than like top of funnel marketing. Um, but you know, I, I think they still go hand in hand. Like we were able to support that, you know, and 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 kind of take that and be like, all right, this is how we're going to think about it from a brand perspective. But yeah, I, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't think the top of funnel stuff impacts the the product, you know, build as as much as the the actual ground up. Hey, this is what's happening in the industry, and this is what our customers want and need mm-hmm. to be able to support their teams and their visibility into into their workflows and make it easier and more efficient. On the other hand, have you heard any stories from the frontline sales team about their jobs becoming easier or changing at all because of what's happening with the content, with the with the promotion, oh, yeah. with the brand? I mean, a hundred percent. When you have a strong brand, it's like you know you get a seat at the table. People see our billboards; they laughed at our commercial. Someone's they're able to use that in their in their sales outreach. They you know they were like, oh, you know, click up. You know, it, it, it's the ability like to stay top of mind all the time, right? Mm-hmm. So when one of our sales teams, you know, is, is doing a uh, an, an exploratory call with a with a prospect, and all of a sudden they they bring up a piece of content that they saw the other day that we created. Like that's we're renting space in someone's mind, and now they're making that connection, and now you know it hopefully will turn into a deal. So I, I always think about it that way. It's like how do we always stay top of mind? And like you know when you think about Geico, right? That's their entire marketing play. They spend billions of dollars. So like, you know, sponsoring every major sports event, every major brand partnership, thousands of commercials. And why do they do that? To constantly stay top of mind. So the minute that you start to think about auto insurance or insurance, you think about Geico. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, you know, like we don't have the And, Geico you know, today, I think everyone but- will tell you the everyone knows the line, right? Save 10% in 10 minutes, right? Like yep. that, Every, that's the line. Everyone knows the line, right? Like, <laughs> so, so I, I think there's the ability to do that in SaaS too. And like, especially when your TAM is so big, right? We are a, a solution for teams of, you know, 10 or teams of thousands of people. So when you're trying to reach everyone, you really do need to stay top of mind to everyone. Um, and also when you think about a lot of other people, if you get people excited that are young, that are entering the workforce, that then become the decision makers in two to three years, and they love your brand, they love your product, they're built in for life. So I think it's thinking about it in like a, you know, uh, a longevity way too. How do you build that brand equity with people that are younger that will become the decision makers, you know, two, three years from now? I got one more question and then we'll hit our wrap up. Um, you know, ClickUp is a, is, is big and bold now. Like, you know, it's a, you have a massive user base. You have an established brand. You're dropping these things we talked about, right? Like the billboards, the music videos, the trailers with every product release, the parodies, the Super Bowl commercials, even. Do you feel it was easier to take risks when the company was smaller? Or is it easier to take risks now uh, that you've got people who've already kind of like bought into the brand and, and, and the user base is so large? Yeah, I think I think it's a little bit easier to take certain risks now because there's not this 
what are they doing? It's like, wow, they're doing this so well. So, I mean, as long as we continue to get that feedback and we know we see that anecdotally, like we know we're on the right path. I think, you know, we have an amazing creative team and we always kind of toe the line between like, how do we, how do we feel about this as a team? And we trust ourselves and we obviously trust the community and users and feedback that we get. Um, But it, it is a little bit easier because we kind of have established what we, you know, what our brand is, what our tone is, what our personality is, how we market the fun, funny videos that we come out with. So it's definitely a little bit easier now. Um, I would say like large risks on a large scale would might be more challenging. Um, you know, the Super Bowl was definitely challenging because we had to get a lot of buy-in from a lot of different mm-hmm. stakeholders. Um, that's such a big, big, big investment um, that deciding on what that's going to be and how it comes to life is, is not always easy, especially it was just our internal team. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, you know, once we, because we've established ourselves already in market, you know, it's a little bit easier to take those fun risks. Let's begin our wrap up. Uh, first off, Melissa, where can our listeners find you? Where can they learn more about you? Where can they learn more about ClickUp? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, you can follow me on LinkedIn. I'm very active on there. We cross-publish all of our really awesome brand videos, as you mentioned, across all of our brand platforms. So please check that out. And yeah, go to ClickUp.com. Um, that's where the magic happens. Uh, ClickUp is an amazing tool. I wish I had ClickUp, you know, years past uh, for everything that we're able to accomplish as a team and as a company within our in our product. And I think dog fooding your own product is the best way to understand the pain points of others. So yeah, highly recommend ClickUp as, a, as an all-in-one productivity solution for your team. Who is one person you want to shout out who's been influential on your journey? Well, you know what? Because this whole thing is about like risk and brand and believing, I'm going to, I'm going to shout out Zeb because, um, you know, having a partner like that early on that believed in you and believed in the vision of what this could become, um, both from obviously he's a product visionary, but from a brand perspective, um, is I would say very unique and very rare. So, uh, shout out to him for, for allowing me to take these risks and bets. We'll now do our top one or two lessons or takeaways for the listeners based on our discussion today. I'll go first, then I'll toss it to you, Melissa. The topic today was driving 100x revenue growth with brand differentiation. Uh, We talked about a lot of really good things. I think what I want everyone to go home with is the importance of having a voice and personality as a brand and, and knowing that and living that every single day. Melissa, top one or two lessons or takeaways for the listeners? Yeah, absolutely. I would say be bold. Um, take bets early on and, and don't be afraid to punch up at your competitors. I would say that's, you know, what's going to get you in the room next to them. Um, you can do it in a smart way, but, you know, these are the things that will make you stand out. These are the, the companies that become legendary. You know, everyone references Apple. Everyone references all these iconic brands. And what did they do? They thought differently about the things that they were doing on the product side and on the marketing side. So, you know, everyone loves to have put the Steve Jobs poster up in their office, but are they actually doing, <laughs> are they actually thinking different about, about the stuff that they're doing? So. That's the, that's the first takeaway. Um, and, and the second takeaway is, you know, like things are evolving so, so quickly. I would say to stay on the cutting edge of everything happening, specifically in AI and the way that it's going to transform the entire industry. I mean, AI is writing a lot of our ads. We're working with AI to create some of these funny, you know, these funny ideas. And I think it, there's that that magic between, you know, humanity and, and also like machine learning that can, can create something incredible. So um, 
don't be fearful of it, embrace it and use it. And, and I, you know, I think it's going to change the industry, every industry forever. So uh, those are my two takeaways. And I would say, um, use AI in a way that you can help differentiate yourself, not just kind of become the status quo. My final question, which is how we end every episode on this show, fill in the blank, Melissa, entrepreneurship mm-hmm. is blank. Disruption. Say more. Disruption over and over and over and over again. To be an entrepreneur, you constantly have to fire yourself, disrupt yourself, disrupt your industry, build and differentiate. Entrepreneurship is disruption. She is Melissa Rosenthal, Chief Creative Officer at ClickUp. And if you have more questions for Melissa, if you were listening to this and you want to know more about AI, or you were listening to this and you said, oh, I really want to know how they figured out what their voice needed to be or any other related questions, Melissa's hopping into the Goat to Market Club. That's our online founder community for the first week that this episode is live. And she's going to be doing an Ask Me Anything inside of there, taking your questions and getting get an opportunity for you to get to know her better and getting those burning questions answered. So we've got an Ask Me Anything inside the Goat to Market Club for the first week that this episode is live. To join, guess what? It's free to join. And then your first month is free. And after that, it's just $9 a month. We're doing a ton of cool stuff inside of there. It is at startuphypeman.com slash GTM dash club. That's startuphypeman.com slash GTM dash club. That's to join the Goat to Market Club. We'll see you inside there. Shout out again to Melissa Rosenthal for joining us. Thanks for having me. That does it for this week's episode. Thank you again to our guests for joining and sharing their knowledge. Did you like what you heard? Well, leave us a rating and review on your podcast app before you head out of here. And while you're at it, who's one friend who you think would find value in hearing today's conversation? Go ahead and share the episode with them. I would really appreciate it. And I thank you for doing that. Remember, we've got more going down with our guest inside Goat to Market Club. Think of it like the after show, the after party, the after hours special. Our guest is going to hop inside the club and do an Ask Me Anything. So you can follow up with any of those questions that came to mind as you were listening. You can follow up and ask them to our guest inside our club. To join, just head to startuphypeman.com slash gtm dash club. Startuphypeman.com slash gtm dash club. GTM Club is $9 a month, but your first month is free. You can cancel anytime. And you're not only getting the AMAs, you're also getting our monthly strategy drops that are for members only, where we're teaching hyper-specific tactical go-to-market strategies, plus cool member-to-member interactions and other bonus resources. All of that happens inside the club. So again, startuphypeman.com slash GTM dash club. We'll see you inside the club and we'll see you next week. But before you head out, remember, why be a unicorn when you can be the goat?